How old were you both when you started at UC San Diego Health? Well, I've been there for 37 years, and I say that I started when I was two. Okay, perfect. And you were so, two. Yes, okay. I was a prodigy. You were like Doogie Hauser. I was. Yeah. And- I'm Michelle Brubaker, and this is N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. I'm really excited to share with you all today the conversation I had with Mary Hakeem and Jan Hebert. These two women started at UC San Diego Health as nurses at age 23, and they just both recently retired after 35 plus years. They both served in a variety of roles in women and infants services, including the neonatal intensive care unit, They share personal stories, the challenges of working in such a vulnerable environment. They talk about all the advancements in everything from culture to technology. They also talk about what drew them to nursing in the first place. Spoiler alert, it has to do with a famous soap opera and an emergency room visit with one of their babysitters. Yeah. Okay, so let's just start, ladies, by introducing yourselves. My name is Mary Hakeem. I worked at UC San Diego Health for 37 years and just retired effective July 1st. I worked in um, almost the entire time in women and infant services, um, but started as a new grad and worked my way into the NICU by night shift nurse, day shift nurse, charge nurse, assistant nurse administrator, um, then I was nurse manager, nurse educator, and um, well, we'll just spend the whole day on me, but that's that's good enough for right now. <laughs> that's a lot, my friend. It was a course. Um, I'm Jan Hebert, and I, was, uh, I started at UC San Diego in uh, August of 1977, and I'd only been a nurse for about six months, and came to the position that I needed to be in the uh, in the teaching hospital that that's what was my real draw was to be there. So I think that it takes a very special person to be a nurse. What got you interested, both of you interested in nursing? Well, mine not might not be the answer that we should say first because I watched General Hospital <laughs> with my grandmother and um there was a nurse that was always, you know, she was beautiful and she dated all the doctors and I really didn't, I just liked watching her. And um, (laughs) then when I discovered that my mom, I actually think I was fulfilling my mom's unfulfilled dream. She started out in nursing school and then um, stopped in order to get married and have babies. And and I was interested in a four-year degree program and, and nursing was appealing to me. And it really wasn't until I got into real nursing that I developed the passion that I think was always there, and I didn't knew that I uh, didn't know that I had. Do you still watch General Hospital? No, and no. I still wish. Well, you're that retired I did. now. So I'll maybe, have time now. I'm going to yeah. pick it back up. Yeah, it's yeah. a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jan? Um, I had an, an aunt who was uh, who retired from a business. You know. Uh, a business uh, career and then went to nursing school. She was an LVN only, 
but um, always uh, we had this give back kind of attitude. And one of, and my uh, and her sister was a World Health Organization. Uh, she wrote books in eight languages and and was ran around the world teaching health, you know, to people. And um, and so I kind of thought that was maybe my initial uh, uh, draw. Um, but when I really got down to it, I um, I think uh, having a, a babysitter who uh, t- took us all to the emergency room one day because I fed my my youngest sister a bottle of St. Joseph baby aspirin, oh and um, and the uh, and the and the emergency room physician came out and said, "Okay, who d- who did this? Or you know, or who who ate all these pills?" And we all all three of us pointed to her and said, "She did." And so off she went to get her stomach pumped, and oh and I just God. thought, oh, you know, I here I kind of like being in the hospital, and um, I I won't commit any more felonies like that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I didn't realize the. Uh, the uh, the problem in, in giving people more than what their the dose the proper dose is, but uh, now um, forty years later, I know that you should not do that. <laughs> you learned that early on. Yeah, very so good. good. The opportunity to learn from Dr. Lewis Gluck, known as the father of neonatology, was a big reason why Mary and Jan wanted to work at UC San Diego. Dr. Gluck pioneered the design of modern NICUs. He developed protocols to reduce the spread of serious bacterial infections in newborns, as well as a lab test called the LS ratio, which accurately predicted the chance a newborn would develop infant respiratory distress syndrome. He passed away in 1997. I was hired to go into the normal newborn nursery, which doesn't even exist anymore now that we do couplet care. But they didn't hire or train new grads at the time, and so I was part of um, one of the initial new grad classes. Um, The best part for me was that teaching environment. Mm -hmm. No one seemed to mind that I had 100 questions, and they were more concerned if I didn't ask. Um, And so that was a great environment for me to learn. I felt safe in learning. And then the passion developed when, um, just early on, dealing with families that are, you know, you hope that's the worst time in their whole life, that that they have to have a baby in an intensive care unit. But the fact is that to be able to make that experience the best that it can be, no matter how traumatic it is, you bond with those families. And so to develop that relationship with families and I loved the part of taking care of babies that was everything from the delivery room to the OR to the ventilator to weaning to a lower level of care, learning how to feed because you're premature and can't coordinate a suck, swallow, breathe all at, all at the same time, um, and discharge teaching and making families feel confident about being able to take care of their baby once they're at home in their own environment. So there wasn't one pigeonholed um, aspect of of nursing that that I felt that I was locked into. I got to do so many things with families that I loved, watching babies get better, hopefully, and um, and a staff that was supportive of teaching me. And and I, I kept that love of learning forever and thankfully I had people who were always willing to teach. So Jan originally wanted to be a cardiothoracic intensive care nurse 
working with patients in critical condition from heart diseases or conditions. She wanted this career path because, well, I'll let her describe it. I wanted like blood, guts, lots of tubes, you know, uh, all the <laughs> trauma, like all that stuff. I was into that. You had to spend a year in med surge, which I did not like. So I just said, well, uh, the, the neonatal ICU is a fairly new subspecialty then. It was not something you rotated through in school. And, uh, and so they were willing to train. And since I'd had that little short bit over at uh, Mercy, uh, they grabbed me, because we used to bring the placentas from the babies there over to placenta rounds with Dr. Banerska uh, in our- Another uh, world-renowned yes, person uh, that we yeah, got to work with as Reproductive medicine uh, physician and uh, world-renowned um, pathologist, you know, that used to, and he used to amaze me with uh, Dr. Menino looking at the placentas, and he could tell you all kinds of things about the babies and ask questions, things like that. And um, we're, so, in, we're in nature. We're in nature now. <laughs> we're camping. Yes. We're doing this around yeah. a bonfire. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I have to say that when I came in 81, Jan was like a goddess. I would have thought that she had been there forever. She knew everything. She was on the day shift. And, and those of us that were hired for nights and that were so green, we would just look at, you know, Jan and, you know, Mary and... Jan and um, Jan Robertson yeah. and Mary Blanchett and Nora Gadula and yeah. uh, some of the senior people that um, are still, I think, you know, unmatched with their skill and their kindness and support of new people. But as a as a brand new grad, we looked at those people and just said, "Wow, we're we want to be like them, but we're afraid of those people. They know everything." <laughs> Yeah. It was pretty impressive, that group. So And it's been impressive to see the people that we've mentored, though, um, mm-hmm. over time and where they've gone. And um, one of the people that I uh, uh, trained as, as a new grad was Ellen Milan, who uh, retired from UCSD and has been uh, giving her life to uh, babies in Uganda. Just for some perspective of how far care has come over the years, what was considered a gestational age where a baby could survive when you started? And where are we now some 30 plus years well, later? Half, half the three pound babies died in 1977 when I started. And um, now, you know, you have- The three uh, pounder is a good good sized baby now. The three pounder <laughs> is, is wow. a chip shot. Now it's, yeah. uh, you know, we've had uh, a, not, I mean, certainly the, the the survival curve goes down as the gestational age gets lower and the weight, birth weight is lower, but we've had uh, some babies weigh uh, under a pound, you know, the size of a Coke can, you know, nine, 10 ounces. Uh, and, I mean, they're obviously in the hospital for a very long period of time, and we have other challenges with them with feeding and other immature systems, their uh, eye development, things like that, but um, they're not insurmountable. You know, I think of the, the baby bird ventilator yeah. that we had that was as big as the whole radiant warmer beside the bed. I mean, and how things, big was that for those of us who don't know? Oh my gosh, um, the uh, I'm bad with but some of these things are just developed feet, feet, feet wide, several feet yeah. wide. Yes, okay. and and, and uh, I don't know how many hundreds of pounds. This was like a a giant machine uh-huh. um, that the baby was dwarfed, you know, by the machine. But uh-huh. of course the you know, the tubing would, would hook up and just the technology. We used to, 
the days of having multiple chest tubes, you know, when I was doing transports, you know, across in the helicopter across the mountains from El Centro, or even just uh, the kids that had meconium aspiration syndrome, were their lungs were so much more difficult to treat years ago with the type of ventilation that we had. And so subsequently, we had the need for a number of chest tubes. Now, it really is it's unusual weird. to see chest tubes um, because of the changes in our ability to manage what we do. The disease process is the same, but our ability to manage it is much better and very different. Yeah. What is that? Uh, you went from a machine that was huge. Mm -hmm. what, what does that ventilation system look like now? Well, now there's a it's little shoebox, a little size. yeah box yeah. that yeah. enables us to deliver that type of ventilation. And, and you have a a capsule that will coordinate all of your all of your bedside equipment with so your that breathing will feed and your electronic medical record with the results. Wow! So yeah. you know, there's just a lot of a lot of change. We've we spent time, you know, building electronic medical records and been a part of. Uh, That's been a huge change. Uh, a lot of a lot of research. You know the. Um, uh, body cooling, uh, head cooling uh, mm -hmm. studies, we were part of that. Well, look at, we were even yeah. in on the early days of surfactant that enabled um, for premature babies to survive because what they lack when you're born prematurely in terms of lung development is um, sufficient amount of surfactant that normally develops at about 34 weeks gestation, give or take stress factors and that's why john kennedy's baby died it was oh, available brought a lot of attention yes. when kennedy mm -hmm. lost um, when jackie and john kennedy lost that baby when he was initially in office um, mm -hmm. it brought a lot of attention to respiratory distress syndrome um, and and just hence the development of ways to um, help save those babies that were born prematurely for example, early in the uh, in the research here, uh, we there was not a chemical version that a pharmaceutical company could make, so they used the natural surfactant that was available in amniotic fluid. So it would take six uh, normal repeat C-sections amniotic fluid to create enough surfactant to treat one baby. Wow. That's how we started because off with Because the researchers surfactant. figured out yeah. that the capability of that compound was in the amniotic fluid because that's where the baby would still be if, mm. it, if it wasn't necessary mm -hmm. to deliver the baby earlier. Right. And so they spun down the amniotic fluid. We would literally get the consent of moms to, um, during her C-section, save the amniotic fluid and uh, in the lab, it would be spun down and then um, made made more, you know, sterilized and mm -hmm. safe, and mm -hmm. then injected down into the trachea and therefore the lungs of these babies to artificially give them what they lacked. I am still in awe of the things that we have been a part of. From, um, you know, we I was in the operating room for the when we separated conjoined twins. Um, and took care of those babies before and after their surgery. Uh, I was able to be in on the delivery, be one of the teams that took care of quintuplets and the multiple uh, multiples delivered um, <laughs> at UCSD. And just the experience of um, kids that have some incredibly unusual um, anomalies. Yeah, anomalies yeah. That, mm -hmm. that we've been able to miraculously make better.
Um, so I, I really stand in awe of, of what the technology enables us to make better. And so the high tech, but also the high touch part that, that we, the units, doctors and nurses and ancillary people from respiratory therapists to social workers to, you know, nutrition services, everybody is a team. Um, and is 110% committed and, and then combined with um, the expertise and the skill that they have, mm-hmm. it's just amazing over the course of time how many things we've gotten to be a part of. On the yeah, how about the zoo? Uh, we, oh, you're we, right, uh, yeah. Because uh, the orangutans are in the, in the gorillas and all are very similar in uh, a lot of their uh, anatomy, you know, uh, the pediatric team got to be a part of taking care of a, Karen. a open Karen the orangutan yeah, after her I open heart surgery. Uh-huh. You think I made I sure I took it? care of her when she was still under the effects of anesthesia. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want very her to wake up idea. on my shift. <laughs> yeah. Very good idea. <laughs> but we've loaned equipment and various things, you know. Condors. Men. We uh, helped incubate condors. Yeah, in, in our in our incubator. In our transport incubator. Uh, the reproductive medicine team went and did a C-section on an elephant up at the oh wild gosh. animal park. I mean. It, I thought Dr. Benerska would be in hog heaven and having to wear a hazmat suit to look at that placenta. It must be huge. Yeah, Yeah, no kidding. Can either of you think of a specific story that really touched your heart that you will remember forever that stayed with you through your career? Do you have any stories like that that you could share? The most exciting one is is, uh, Angela Amoroso. And she uh, is someone who was actually a dance teacher for Scripps Performing Arts with my kids and some of the nurses, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she taught the kids of our, uh, our several of our nurses as well. And I found her as a, you know, an antepartum um, admitted, admitted patient with preterm labor at uh, like 26 weeks, 27 weeks. And, uh, and she, this is probably like, I don't know, a decade ago now, uh, but she, um, didn't didn't last much longer and uh, and and it gave uh, birth to Isabella and Isabella stayed with us from uh, September to about the week before Christmas of, uh, of that year and uh, went home and and the the dance company was putting on the nutcracker and she had a lot of things going on and and all but uh, but Isabella died of SIDS like only a, with the within days of her discharge and um, but uh, but Angela and Drew, uh, um, Isabella's dad, he's about six eight, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and uh, Angela always talked about him as having the uh, the heart, uh, being a the, the giraffe and you know, having um, the heart of a giraffe, and as they have the biggest heart um, and give back the most, and uh, they at the time we were moving on to a new technology, uh, which uh, G called uh, the giraffe bed because it had a kind of a pop top you know could be a radiant warmer or an incubator and so she had decided early on that she wanted to have a foundation put together and she while she was still a patient you know while Isabella was still in the hospital uh, they were raising money actively to get a bed like that for the hospital and um, and we I think we trialed it because we are you know we're special and that people 
in technology. They, they come to us to try things out and to test things and be part of research. But um, they, uh, they have stayed with us as uh, some of our most solid um, fundraisers. And uh, they, when we finally got that draft bed, uh, we had just finished the remodel on the fourth floor of the Hillcrest Hospital to give us nine more beds. And, um, and I believe Angela was getting the, uh, the Community Leadership Award. And uh, with that, um, an anonymous um, donor from the Nice Guys wrote a big fat check for $500,000 wow. uh, to get more giraffe beds for us. I've had the opportunity to be in the NICU, and I can tell you that the environment is not only vulnerable for families, it can be an emotional place for the medical staff taking care of the hospital's tiniest and most fragile patients. There's a whole phase of uh, PTSD that uh, now is kind of more talked about that healthcare providers go through. Mm -hmm. I think we just always toughed it out and you were always there for the family. Um, you know, we if you didn't agree with the plan of care, we'd, you know, we'd switch out caregivers to make sure you had the best person that could, you know, take care of you and, mm -hmm. and your needs. Uh, but it's, uh, it's tough now. I mean, we, we do, we make sure that we have the uh, hospital chaplain or we do a, a, um, a debrief where we walk through a lot of things. Uh, we don't want the unfortunate person who happened to be there when the baby died because it's uh, it's not their fault. It just that's when, the moment at which you know that occurred. Uh, you know it they carry a lot of guilt around. Some people never recover from it and they don't want to be in healthcare anymore after that. But um, you have to somewhere learn to compartmentalize. Um, you know the the analysis, the clinical things, and be able to move past that and. Um, and I think resilience, yeah, resilience is the, is is the key really tough these mm -hmm. days because mm -hmm. I do think um, we are given more support now because of the recognition of how important that is. We were more of each other's support alone uh, back in the day because, and, and we did, honestly, I don't think we were any less functional because of it. But the added support now and the recognition of the need for it, I think, is a huge benefit. What would you say to the young men and women who mm -hmm. want to go into nursing um, after all the time you spent at UC San Diego Health and the lessons you've learned and the experiences you've had? Mm -hmm. What would you say to the new group, the new generation of nurses who are coming in? Over a career's time, you, there's so much flexibility. You can take time off to raise a family. You can work part-time. You can, you know, there's so much um, variation in, in the opportunities. So that remains a huge plus. The other thing is um, I, I've always had friends that would say, okay, tell me something that you did today because my job is way too boring and yours is so interesting. And um, if you're a people person and um, love the connection that you're able to have just with human beings, it's there's nothing like it. What are you now doing in retirement life? <laughs> what is it like to be adjusting? Adjusting, adjusting. Yeah. You know, I have um, I'm having uh, my own personal difficulty trying to um, discover what part time means. Um, <laughs> I am doing um, a little bit of consulting, and I have, uh, I'm working part-time 
um, for a private industry um, position that ties in beautifully with my expertise and background, so I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. I realized a couple of months ago before I retired that I was not going to be able to go from my job to bonbons by the pool um, for any <laughs> length of time, although right. two days of that was really a highlight. Um, <laughs> so um, it's it really is nice to be able to not be tied to my phone 24-7. Uh, uh, do a little travel, uh, spend a little more time with, uh, with family. I have a couple grandchildren, so uh, we'll do a little more of that. You never get the nurse out of your system. You know, once a nurse, always a nurse. My conversation with Mary and Jan is part of our 50th anniversary celebration of UC San Diego School of Medicine. To learn more about the accomplishments and discoveries made in the past five decades and the faculty, students, trainees, and staff who made it all possible, please visit medschool.ucsd.edu. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of this podcast at health.ucsd.edu slash podcasts.